0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Japanese, I'm your host Akiko Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese culinary academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I will try to demystify it in this program, my cool guests. And my guest today is Ivan Okin, who is the owner of three popular ramen shops, one in Tokyo called Ivan Ramen, and two in New York called uh, Ivan Ramen in Lower East Side, and Ivan Ramen Slap Shop in Health Kitchen. He's also the author of Ivan Ramen, Love, Obsession, and Recipes from Tokyo's Most Unlikely Noodle Joint. Hello and welcome to the show, Ivan. Hi. Um, I know we can do a show in Japanese because Ivan speaks beautiful Japanese, but uh, we're going to stick with English. So um, so you're known as uh, not just a great ramen chef, but also an American ramen chef, deeply accepted by Japanese food lovers. And of course, uh, ramen is a national pride of Japan. So it must be, uh, must be really a long way to get there. So could you tell us how your relationship with Japan started?
2: Um, well, it's you know it is a it's a it's a, it's a long story, um, but you know I started off uh, at a uh, at a sushi bar in Long Island when I was 15, and uh, it was my uh, my part time job, mm. my arubaito,
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> and uh, and um, and I just I quickly became deeply enamored with kind of everything Japanese. You know, I um, you know the Japanese culture is uh, can be a, a very difficult one to join. Mm. Um, it's um, it, it, it's hard to enter. It's it's you know Japanese people are are uh, they sort of have their little groups and and it's not always easy to get mm, into
1: that. Not totally open, yeah, like American um, culture.
2: But I, I worked really hard at that restaurant and I ate anything they gave me. <laughs> um, so um, before you knew it, I was kind of accepted by everybody. Mm. Um, most of the cooks were. Um, were like in their late 20s or early 30s. So they were kind of mature, um, very nice. And I was just a boy. Mm -hmm. and, And I think they really got that, that I was just this young kid with this job.
1: Mm, and curious and, about Japanese and, culture. Yes, too.
2: and more and more because, you know, it was really like walking into Japan mm. um, because, no, they didn't speak English, so, mm. you know, <laughs> not very much. Right. And so they all spoke Japanese together, so I was very intrigued.
1: Mm. And then you went to um, college and majored in Japanese.
2: Yep, mm. uh, at the University of Colorado.
1: Mm. So, and then after graduation, you went to Japan. And then I think you told me that uh, at the Narita Airport, you felt uh, so familiar that uh, you may have been Japanese in your last life. Well,
2: you know, I felt, yes. I, and and I, I really, you know, it's funny. I mean, for those of you who are of a certain age, as we get older, it's, it's, things seem a little misty. Mm. But uh, I definitely remember um, this emotion of coming home as the plane landed in 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 narita and it was the first time i had ever been there mm, but uh, i felt very i just i felt really happy to be home mm, it was very strange emotion wow. and, and, and i feel that way i go to japan a lot mm-hmm. um and you know i feel like i'm going home i don't i don't really feel like i i visit anymore it's hmm. when i'm in japan it's where i'm from right
1: yeah. so and then what did you do after that Arrival moment. Well,
2: I mean, you know, I've, I've sort of had I've had many chapters in my life, mm-hmm. um, but this was sort of. Uh this chapter was sort of post college but pre real work, mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I uh, I graduated with a degree in Japanese, and I sort of just I figured, you know what? I mean, I, I didn't graduate pre law or pre med or, or business or anything. I hadn't. I was a liberal arts you know mm. graduate, so I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do with my life, and I just figured a person who graduates with a foreign language degree should go live in the country mm. that they just spent four years studying right. about.
1: So wh- how long did Sta and what did you do?
2: Um, well I did what most people did uh, at that time I, I worked in, a, in a, at Berlitz, oh, okay. which uh, is a very famous language school um, at the time it was the number one language school in mm-hmm. uh, in Japan nice. um, and uh, and uh, I, I worked my tail off teaching English and Hanging out in tokyo and, and it was sort of a weird time in a way because i i didn 't really, uh, really have a lifestyle of, of speaking Japanese. you know I'm, I was speaking a lot of English um, and I, which was a little disappointing to me and uh, you know, one thing led to another, and I grew tired of that job, mm-hmm. and uh, and the bubble burst. Ah, okay. Right.
1: So, so that the, was 1992? ninety. Nineteen eighty-nine.
2: Eighty-nine. Okay. Was right about when things started to get quite shaky.
1: Right.
2: Um, uh, with the Japanese economy, mm. and um, and so I, I just sort of with a, with a bit of a heavy heart. Um, I decided to go back to the United States because mm-hmm. I didn't really... You know, I was also never a white-collar guy, so I didn't really want to go work at an advertising agency or mm-hmm. try to work for a company or something. I, I was never in my brain to be a salaryman, ever. Okay. Like, I've never been a salaryman. Right. right. So
1: that's why you decided to go to CIA, which is also called uh, Harvard, of carinary education. Um,
2: um, it's, yeah, you know, it was a really good school, and especially when I went... You know, when I went to culinary school, there still weren't thousands of them. You know, it was it was still a handful of serious ones. And then there were some, you know, community colleges and there was some very small schools run on a very small scale. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, in the in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, the 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 CIA was certainly towered over everybody else. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, I I always loved food. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I was a little frightened of becoming a cook. I think I'd thought about it. Uh, also, you know, I graduated in high school in 1981, mm-hmm. um, which at, at that point, being being a chef, was not sexy. It was not, mm. not much different than any other kind of blue collar field. Right. Um, and uh, you know, I grew up in sort of a sort of grew up as a Jewish boy in sort of a you know upper middle class area. Mm-hmm. And um, um, not that, you know, I actually grew up with very cool parents. And I think you know when I ultimately decided. That's what I wanted to do. They also were like, "Yes, that's a great idea," because mm. they know I love I love being around food and everything. Right. Um, but at the time, it seemed I think I was a little scared mm-hmm. because I knew how how hard the work was.
1: Right. But they ended up working at uh, great restaurants such as Mesa Grill and uh, Lutez.
2: Yep. Yeah. No. I. You know. I. I think most of my friends and I were very uh, excited about the the four star dining scene and the whole. You know you know it was certainly when if you graduated from CIA you had an opportunity to work in some of the really good restaurants, and I took advantage of that and mm. um working at lutes was a, was a really a transformative experience right
1: uh, it's really legendary new American restaurant creative
2: right well mesa yeah. grill uh, uh, Lutes was a, 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 a old style mm. uh, a, a french
1: right okay yeah so but then you returned to Tokyo in two thousand three
2: right yep i uh i i had many jobs by that point um i had been and i'd uh, sort of been with restaurant associates for a very long time Mm. which was a a good stable job while i raised my my child and um and children and uh and uh i just you know what i was hankering for japan Mm. and i had seven years in the same job and i was tired of it and i was i was ready to move on right and um and I was, uh, I was with my wife and kids in Tokyo on, on, a, on a trip. Right,
1: because your wife was Japanese.
2: Yeah, my wife, my, my second, my first wife died many years ago. Um, and she was Japanese. And not really by plan, I ended up marrying another Japanese woman. I actually did not hunt for a Japanese <laughs> wife. I, I sort of met her on a, on a total lark, blind date. In Tokyo, with my kid and she had a kid and we ended up sort of having this blind date. It wasn't even a blind date because nobody thought that we would be crazy enough to try to get married mm. when I lived in New York and she lived in Tokyo. But, you know, I, I was very, I was smitten right away and mm-hmm. uh, um, and sort of, we, got, we met in May and we were married in August. Oh my God. And we'd been married for 13 years. Oh wow, so, congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah, so we, uh, um, so I was, we had married and, and in less than a year after being married, we were on a trip to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a great job; she was working, and I was with the children. And it was right around uh, the cherry blossom season. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who have seen that, it's it's something that's uh, it really draws you in. Right. And I was I was actually in. A, have you ever been to Kunitachi?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So as the Kunitachi is, a, a, as you know, so people don't know it's a very famous college town, right. a, a very upscaled college town with mm-hmm. a beautiful boulevard. And during cherry blossom season, it's just gorgeous, full cherry blossoms running all the way down for a a couple of miles. And I was sitting drinking a Starbucks and watching the cherry blossoms and I just, I saw my wife a couple hours later and I said, we're moving back to Japan. I just, you know, I just decided that it was, it was now or never. I I think I had just turned 40 or I Mm. was about to turn 40 and I was ready to, you know, just, and I just... I sold everything I owned, and I got wow. rid of everything, and we just got on a plane. And
1: Sounds like you have a couple moments to yeah, change no, your life in yeah, Japan.
2: yeah, it was very cool.
1: Right. Okay. So, um, and eventually you chose to cook ramen, right? But, you know, you had skills and experience of Western style, fine dining. Yeah. So, but how did you decide to cook ramen?
2: Um, well, I mean, you know, it was funny. It was, total, it was a total lark. You know, I, I was, I was uh, looking for something to do. Uh, my wife was working f- a really great job, and I was taking care of the kids. But mm. I was getting bored, and, um, and we sort of agreed that, you know, I should look for something to do. Um, and I, I really wasn't up for uh, working for anybody anymore. Mm. Um, and um, and at, at, this was right when sort of the ramen obsession in, in Tokyo was really picking up steam. Mm, kind
1: and, of really rebellious. But ramen used to be, like, boring, you know, like, one in one town, a classic, not fashionable. But there's a revolution. Yeah, well, so talking.
2: ramen, it, and it's, it's still this way in a lot of parts of Japan. I mean, ramen, really, if you ate ramen, you know, 20, 25 years ago, you'd eat a sort of a Chinese esque restaurant mm-hmm. where they also had fried rice and gyoza maybe they had uh, sauteed you know uh, a liver with uh, with uh nira with uh, the uh, chinese chives and, mm-hmm. um, and they would have all these different kind of sauteed dishes and things right. and they would have ramen right because um,
1: originally japanese ramen came from chinese ramen right and then and developed the, in there and
2: restaurant. there would be lots of, and that's how a lot of ramen shops were but right. but they were i mean they were always you know there were always famous shops that just served ramen mm-hmm. but it really took on this you know i guess how i describe it is that you know when i even when i first came back in 2003 there were still a lot of japanese people that didn't necessarily eat ramen or maybe they had it once or twice Mm. and then as this revolution started all of a sudden everybody started eating ramen Mm. and all of a sudden you couldn't watch a variety show without having a ramen corner (laughs) and you couldn't open the newspaper without reading an article about a ramen shop that was very popular and then it just started Capturing, you know, the Mm -hmm. the consciousness of Japan.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, but, you know, you could have done sushi or something else, right? No, no.
2: You know, it's funny. (laughs) I mean, one of the reasons I chose ramen was I, I really felt like ramen was like the only thing, the only food stuff in Japan that didn't have any rules, mm-hmm. you know, sushi and the soba and the, even like udon, especially tempura. Mm-hmm. These are all things that have extremely specific ways of being made.
1: It's like um, martial arts. Um, yeah,
2: yeah. Re- it is. It's like, it's like ridiculously exact. Um, and I think it's much less forgiving. And I think that, you know, even me, and I mean, I'm just a total white dude. But if I walk into a sushi bar, whether it's here or Tokyo, and I look in, and if I don't like the way the place looks, I walk out. Mm. If I don't like the way the guy's holding the knife, I walk out. I mean, mm. I'm just really <laughs> anal about it. And ramen's different because it's, it's this very secretive thing that maybe a lot of the listeners don't know. But in Japan, people are crazy. I, had, I knew a guy who had seven ramen shops, and they made everything on site except the sauce, the tare, the thing that flavored the soup. Mm -hmm. He made that at home. And then he would drive to each restaurant on, like, the first of every month and drop off the tare. And then they would have to use that all through the month. Mm -hmm. And then the next month he would bring the next batch. Mm -hmm. So nobody knew how to make the secret sauce.
1: Right. So you find out, maybe you could be killed by the guy, right? (laughs) Yes.
2: So it it, it was sort of, I thought, wow, you know, Besides the fact that in, you know, when I was, like I said, when I was in Tokyo at this time, everybody, I was eating a ton of ramen. Mm-hmm. I should dial back a little bit and say, when I lived in Japan for 10 or 15 years, in between Japan trips, um, ramen was one of the only Japanese things you couldn't eat here. So in mm-hmm. New York, you could, you could go to, you know, a restaurant, Nippon, and have very Japanese, fine, kind mm-hmm. of ni- nicely made Japanese food. And you could eat... Sushi and you could go and, f- and you could go to Sakagura and, and like have really nice bites and then very nicely thoughtfully selected sake But you could not eat ramen mm. So when I moved back to, Ra- to Japan in 2003, I was like insane I was eating ramen all the time <laughs> and my wife and I would drive around we had this thing called the ramen Navi Do you mm. remember that it was on the flip phones? Mm-hmm. But this is before the smartphones and you'd open up your flip phone and there would be this thing called the ramen, na- ramen Navigation in Japanese <laughs> you call it a Navi and my wife would guide me down these narrow streets to popular ramen shops, and we would drive all over Tokyo eating ramen. Mm. And so when we were ready to do a business, my wife said to me, well, you know, why don't you open a ramen shop? And, mm. I, and I got, I was like, you're crazy. I said, I don't know how to make ramen. And she said, you'll figure it out. And, and I didn't want to work in a ramen shop because as we're saying, I didn't think anyone was going to really teach me anything in a mm. month or two. And I didn't want to work for two years. I needed, to, I needed a real business, you know?
1: Right. And also you had uh, you know, a great experience as a chef, so you could figure it out.
2: Yes, and I, and I did figure it out.
1: Right. Okay. And in 2007, you opened the first ramen shop, and uh, that's Iwa Ramen, at right. the Roka Koen in Setagaya, Tokyo, which is a um, very residential area. Yes. Like, compared to, say, like, Ginza or Shinjuku. Right. So why did you pick uh, such a residential area, and how did you get socially accepted in local Japanese community?
2: Well, as far as the, the finding the ramen shop, uh, I don't know how things have changed now. Back in 2006 or so, when I started looking, you know, remember that I was talking about how the ramen shops have no rules and they're, they're really funky, it's because ramen had no respect. Mm. So, you know, it, 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 and it's, it's, uh, most people that make ramen are not cooks so you don 't have some guy who 's trained in fine Japanese dining and then opens a ramen shop. Mm-hmm. you know it, it, the, most of the people that open ramen shops learn from they get the job they don 't know anything they learn from the from his the, the owner mm-hmm. and then maybe someday they open a ramen shop but that 's their training mm-hmm. and so uh, ramen shops can, the shops can be very greasy and stinky, so uh, they 're not very popular among landlords so I mean I went to dozens and dozens of towns where they would, there was not even one Place where you could open a ramen shop, mm-hmm. and so um, and I didn't really want to be in the middle of. To- First of all, the middle of to- Tokyo was expensive, so if you go to Ebisu or Shibuya or Shinjuku, you know this is more expensive than mm-hmm. further out. Um, I also wanted to be relatively close to home.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I just decided, you know, I'd want to be able to be ten, fifteen minutes away mm-hmm. at, at the most. Right. Um, so that's just sort of how I, I chose mm-hmm. uh, the, the neighborhood. I, I, it's a long story, but I, I got the shop from a completely crazy lady who's thankfully dead now. Okay, but, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I say that with all sincerity. Um, and uh, but uh, you know, I came in to eat at this, this crazy woman shop, and I, I we had a conversation and and I ended up saying, "I'm, I think I'm going I want to open a ramen shop." And she said, "Well, I think I want to retire."
1: Right. Okay. So. And but you know, eventually it sounds like uh, you're part of the community, right? So Well,
2: I mean, I'm I've spent 30 years trying to understand Japanese culture. Um and it comes pretty naturally to me now and mm. it's it's like anything you might meet you know I mean you're a Jap- you grew up in Japan mm-hmm. yes yes so but you embrace uh, New York and if some if you met someone and they suggested that you didn't really understand America or they talked to you like you were just a uh, sort of a green foreigner you might be like well hold on here I, I I live here I lived here for you know what I mean so I mean right. I, and I feel the same way about mm. Japan you know I've um so and, and my wife's Japanese and right. so my I had her advising me so you know there's a lot of ways to do things properly in Japan and so mm-hmm. when we after we signed the lease I went to all my neighbors and I gave them all gifts and I well, you know, I said, hey, you know, I'm going to open this business and mm. I, I really hope I don't disturb you in any way. And if I do, please let me know immediately and I'll fix it. And mm. I'm really excited to be part of your area. And and, um, and I'm a hard worker and I think I tried really mm. hard to and I think everybody saw me. I mean, we worked really hard. We we, 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 we we broke this whole building down and like built all this stuff and we painted it ourselves and mm. we built our own signs and we did a lot of stuff mm. with everybody kind of watching us
1: while we were working. Mm. So... So the Dive and Ramen Tokyo so how many seats and uh, what's the ambience like is it like a local you know neighborhood casual place Well
2: I mean you know funny thing is when I opened Dive and Ramen when I was kind of researching, and I would go to all these shops with my little my little kids, mm. and I'd go to these shops. You know, I'm, this is the truth. I mean, ramen shops used to be like like a gangster shop. You know, like down and dirty, like <laughs> Irish pub or something. They're really like old, kind of you know Irish pub. Some Irish pubs are beautiful, but you know. Anyway, it was like a pub, mm-hmm. and and. Um, I kind of opened the door and they would see me with my kids and they would roll their eyes like, oh crap, they're bringing their kids, they're not going to eat that much, they're, you know, the kids are going to make noise or whatever, and, and I was always very insulted, I was like, well you know, I'm, my, my, my yen is the same as that guy's yen, and you know, so I kind, of, I kind of vowed to have a nice, bright, welcoming shop when I opened it. Um, and I only mention this because now most ramen shops are now very modern, very hip, very trendy, beautiful lights, you know, very you know, bright inside, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, whereas they used to be kind of sticky, dank, dirty, dark, yeah, yeah. and nasty. Mm-hmm. And, and so my shop is a little bit on the sort of modern side, mm-hmm. you know, um, and uh, kind of bright and kind of welcoming with colored paint on the wall.
1: Okay. Uh, but I'm sure, you know, the Japanese people are kind of skeptical about, you know, American chef. So how did you make it popular, like nationally popular?
2: Um, well, I mean, look, everybody knows that, you know, my part of my hook is that I'm a Jewish guy from Long Island in Tokyo. So I mean, that that certainly is you know I can't lie about it I mean I, I knew that if I opened a ramen shop and people would be curious mm-hmm. um, but I'm also a cook for many years and I also know that you only have to serve one bad meal to lose a customer that, forever so So
1: it sounds like uh, you know they don't use a PR company like here in right. New York so so word of mouth and the word eventually. of mouth
2: and and uh you know once Once the word got out, I started getting on, you know, doing a lot of interviews and Mm -hmm. being on a lot. I was on a tremendous amount of TV Um, on New Year's Day. I was on the largest, you know, I don't know in Japan, you know, uh, Japanese people. New Year's Day is probably the biggest day of the Mm -hmm. year for Japanese people. They. They, they clean the house and get everything ready before. And then on New mm-hmm. Year's Day, everybody sits around, they get, they get drunk, and they watch variety television programs mm-hmm. with famous actors and comedy skits and all kinds of... I've watched every single year of my life, too, mm-hmm. uh, over, since I moved to Japan. Right. And um, anyway, I was on one of those shows. And so the, we were closed. You know, Most people close their businesses for mm-hmm. the first few days. And right. when we reopened on the 4th, we had like, you know... A hundred people lined up down the road, and, and um, it really it stayed that way for a long time. Wow! Yeah, how cool is that? It was very cool.
1: Right. All right. So uh, let's take a short break here, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk about how Ivan makes great ramen. So please stay with us. Okay. Still paying attention? Are you there? Hello, 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 hello. I'm talking to you. Hi. Hey, this is Jack Inslee. I'm the executive producer here at Heritage Radio Network. I've been here at the station since 2009, and I cannot believe just how much this network has grown over that time. We've been able to grow because of donations from people like you. So if you're enjoying this, if you laughed, if you learned something, contribute Anything, a dollar, two dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, anything counts, and trust me, we'll appreciate seeing your name come through on the donations. So consider visiting heritageradionetwork.org, click on that little beating heart, the donate button, and show us you care. Thanks for listening, I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back, you are listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Ivan Okin, who is the owner of three popular ramen shops, one in Tokyo and two in New York, and the author of the great cookbook, Ivan Ramen, Love, Obsession, and Recipes from Tokyo's Most Unlikely Noodle Joint. So um, what do you serve at the Ivan Ramen Tokyo?
2: Uh, the you know we we've, we've always done we do it we do the shio the shoyu and then we do uh, two mazemen styles mm-hmm. uh the, i fell in love with the mazemen style you know almost right after i opened mm. um which really just means less soup okay. we always try to decide like how to explain it so people would really get sort of you know less soup more saucy mm-hmm. you know which sort of sounds terrible but it is yeah,
1: sort of what it is yeah
2: closer to pasta maybe closer to pasta um it's still very ramen because it still has sort of the explosive flavor and it still has the alkaline noodle. Mm. Um, but um, one thing I like about maze-men is it sort of preserves the texture of the noodle a little bit more. And uh, I'm a real noodle maven, mm. so I, I love sort of having people really experience the okay, texture of Okay, because a hot
1: uh, soup can... Dil- well,
2: and, and, and people in America particularly eat more slowly than Japanese, oh. so, the, so the noodle softens right. and, and, it, and the texture kind of changes.
1: Right. Gets soggy. Gets soggy. All right, and uh, you incorporate uh, untraditional flavors such as uh, roasted tomato in ramen. Yeah. So, what is the idea?
2: Well, you know, when I when we opened the shop, I was just I really was racking my brain about toppings and uh, how to bring more umami into my soup without you know my my ramen is on the much lighter side than you know it, it, actually right now it's the hottest kind of ramen my ramen once again is really like the all the foodies are eating sort of this. Lifestyle, um, but you know, at, at the end of the day, people like you know, triple cheeseburgers with bacon, <laughs> so that's that's and that's what's popular. So, the tonkotsu, the pork bone, mm. milky white, sort of really fatty soup, is what's most popular. Um, mm. but it's also sort of you know, like heavy French food with a sauce on it. It's it, mm. it, it, it's it, it's it's in in a way in some some ways easier Um, you know I make a chicken and dashi soup Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's much lighter and finer so I was trying to figure out how to how to punch that up even more and Mm. believe it or not you know tomato has a lot of natural umami in it Mm. um, and it's uh, uh, it's it's refreshing in a weird way Mm and but also very deep and rich in flavor in another way Um, and it really It got really, I mean, I've gotten, now everybody serves roasted tomatoes in Tokyo, (laughs) I I won't say it was me, but I never saw it before I did it.
1: Okay, and uh, I found a blog of a huge ramen lover. Obviously, this guy has been to many ramen shops in Tokyo, and uh, I wanted to share this with you and uh, our listeners. And so this man uh, tasted Yoshio, a salt ramen, and he said, uh, it starts with oceanic and toasty bonito flavor. And after a few more bites and sips, clean, deep chicken flavor kicks in. The topping of pork adds another layer of flavor. The soup is balanced, not too salty, yet it has rich and rounded saltiness. Then gradually, effects of the topping of roast tomato step in. The acidity of tomato increases sweetness in salty soup. I'm in heaven.
2: Nice. So that was that was in Japanese. (laughs) Yeah, in Japanese. Nice. I got to write that. That was very good. (laughs) You know, one of the exciting things as a cook for me, um, just as a cook, really, is that you know I I think so deeply about about the about anything I cook. But but the ramen, I spend so much time. um, You know, I always I always hated restaurants. There's a lot of pressure on us restaurant Mm. owners to put things on our menu. Right. Um, and so you end up putting things on the menu that aren't always perfected. Mm-hmm. Um, I try very hard to have that not happen. Um, so it's very exciting when a customer sort of puts into words what something tastes like. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's exactly what I was thinking when I mm-hmm. created that. Right. And so really, it's a, it's quite, for me, it's very uh, humbling to, mm-hmm. to have someone say that. And uh, we try that very hard. And ramen is a very complex thing because a good ramen really needs to be salty. Mm-hmm. It's not a not-salty thing whether Mm. it's pork or chicken or beef or whatever you want i mean the one of the things of ramen is that it's fatty and it's salty Mm. and it's important to have those things in ramen and yet if you eat a whole bowl of it Mm. too salty ramen even if it's not too salty while you're eating it Mm. can make you feel very sick later on it can make your face feel weird you know Mm. it's 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 and so and i'm always because i'm a fine dining chef I want my customers to go home feeling great, mm-hmm. not feeling, you know, nauseous or feeling, you know, oh, yeah. like their their whole, their heads are you know, <laughs> loaded with salt. Right. So it's uh, it's hard to get it, You're to get favorite. it, to get the balance right. Right.
1: Right. And, but you know, it sounds like you have very classic items on the menu. So have you ever tried to make totally innovative, like Western flavored ramen? I've made
2: all kinds of crazy things. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I did a, I did a, uh, well in In Japanese, you know, I do like a taco rice uh, mm-hmm. ramen mm-hmm. I called it a mexican ramen and in in Japan, taco rice is sort of sort of like a taco on on rice, you know chopped mm-hmm. up lettuce and tomato and ground meat and Salsa or whatever, but it was it was it was my favorite one I've ever made. But I've I've made bacon bacon lettuce and tomato, and mm. and at my second shop in Tokyo, I served a you know a, a, a triple cheese ramen that was mm. really really popular for a long. It was my most popular
1: okay dish, and it was right. great. what the way, the second shop that was a kind of more creative.
2: Yeah, the second for- shop was, and it was sort of hit or miss. It was really popular for a while. The, the neighborhood was tougher than I than I expected, mm. but. Um, yeah, I mean, when I opened, we didn't even serve any meat soup. We only served dashi.
3: Oh,
1: wow. Uh,
2: it was all dashi, and I did this cheese mazemen that uh, really was outrageous. It was, mm. it was really, really good.
1: Wow. Okay. And uh, you also make uh, ramen noodles in yes. Japan. So why do yes. you do that? Um... Well,
2: you know, I thought a lot about it. First of all, I just, generally speaking, don't like ramen noodles. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, I, I would go with my, and this started from years ago, where I would, my wife and I would eat a lot of ramen, and I would go to a lauded shop or whatever, and I would eat it, and I would say, you know, I kept saying to her, I'd say, you know, the soup is so delicious, why are the noodles so average? Mm. And I was I was kind of vexed about it. I mean, I, I just I was like, huh. And it really sort of turned out that, you know, and it's changed a little bit, but Back then, you know, 10 years ago, most noodle companies made 5, 10, whatever number of types of noodles they made, and you would have to choose mm. from one of those. And, and, and ramen noodles are often, to me, a little too eggy and a little too um, alkaline mm. um, and don't have enough fresh flour flavor. Mm-hmm. Now,
1: well, uh, too alkaline means uh, too chewy?
2: No, too alkaline means uh, has that sort of... Uh, um, Uh, baking soda kind of flavor and and odor, Mm -hmm. uh, stinky sulfur odor that I don't particularly care for. While I still think alkaline is incredibly important, and if you don't put alkaline in your noodle, you don't have ramen. Mm -hmm. I I really feel strongly about that, but I also think um, rather than having that sort of um, sulfur flavor. I I try to replace that with a a, a wheat flavor. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. And so I mean that was this you know and you know my wife who's grew up in Japan she would say to me, yeah I've sort of I've I've sort of learned that you know. Just because I don't like all the ramen noodles doesn't mean they're not good. Mm-hmm. I mean and I didn't grow up in Tokyo, so I didn't grow up eating, you know, those kind of noodles. Yeah, I think yeah. and I've eaten a lot of I've I've worked in Italian restaurants, I've made lots of pasta, mm-hmm. I've eaten a lot of udon, I've eaten a lot of soba, I've eaten I've eaten Luremen, I've eaten every kind of noodle. So I think, you know, that's the chef in me. I was I would eat these bowls of ramen and I would mm-hmm. say, huh you know, if you just did this and this, it would be so much better, in my mm. mind. And so I m- ended up meeting a noodle machine manufacturer in the course of my research for the shop. And, you know, the guy convinced me to get a machine. He just sort of, you know, <laughs> he, he ran a little school. It was a six-day school that I went to. Ah. Um, I learned, like, some of the basic things about ramen. Mm. And um, and uh, I love making noodles. You mm. know, I, 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 it, You know, it's like the... I think i've said i've said before it's like it's like almost like the staff of life you know you take when you take water and flour and then when you mix it up you make it into food mm-hmm. it's it's very humbling to have food made out of something so simple right. um and so i've really i mean i've made i've made a lot of noodles in my life okay um, so it's really fun
1: let me tell you another blogger's um, statement so this guy had another again your salt ramen and uh So he said, uh, it's silky. I thought the section was round for its smooth mouthfeel, but it is square. And another person said, uh, the noodle reminds me of Hakata Nagahama ramen, which is uh, the famous style ramen from the south. And they're super thin yet bouncy and a rich taste of flour.
2: I worked really hard on that recipe. (laughs)
1: That worked out? Well, (laughs)
2: well, you know, it's um, the other thing that I... You know, you know, i've I've been a food I've been food obsessed since I'm probably before I was five, mm. and I spend a lot of time thinking about food and how things eat and why they eat the way they eat. And um, you know, uh, it, so you know, one of the other things. So I would go to my go out to these ramen shops and I would eat ramen and I would say, huh, you know, that I didn't love the flavor of some of the noodles, I didn't mm. love the texture of some of those. And one of the other things that I found disappointing, I guess, is that you'd get a bowl you turn to your friend, you'd mm. say something, you take a sip of beer, and when you went back to your bowl, the noodles would be overcooked. Mm. And they would overcook in two minutes. Right. And I would say, that's too fast. It's got to be, you got to get at least four minutes or five minutes before they overcook. Mm. And like I said, in New York, some people take 20 or 30 minutes to eat a bowl of ramen, which I, I don't judge, because I think I think people are trying to learn Wait. how to eat, eat ramen and how to eat noodles in general here. but. And the, noodle, the noodles here are different than... I don't get the same flour here, mm. unfortunately. Okay. So I, I prefer my noodles in mm-hmm. Tokyo. I haven't been able to get the right flour yet. It's too expensive to right. get it here. Um, but the, my, my noodles in Tokyo don't absorb soup.
1: Okay, because um, it's less... Lusty- because I
2: came up with this... No, mm. because I came up with this really great... Recipe combining mm-hmm. different kinds of flour ah. that just that are I use I use a high gluten low gluten I mm-hmm. use a bunch of different kinds of right.
1: and do you I use a rye as well?
2: I use rye here for my regular noodle in Japan. I use rye for my skamen noodle ah, okay. um, I use rye here because I wasn't satisfied with the flavor of the flour And mm-hmm. I think I thought it needed more oomph mm. and by adding a little rye I got a got a got a nice nice flavor to okay. it um, but the, the flour in Japan is much finer mm. so that when you, you know, r- 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 people don't, may not know this, but ramen noodles use very little water compared to say a bread. Mm. So, you know, to get it to combine in these machines that we use, cr- press the, the dough together with, with great force. Mm. Um, but the finer the flour gets, the the bond of the noodle gets stronger. And mm. you get to chew your noodle; you get more texture. Right. Um, and so, I, I understand using Japanese flour better than I understand using American flour. Mm. But but I'm I'm working on changing
1: that. Okay, right. Um, so the. Yeah, but it's going back to, you know, in Japan, ramen is almost like a fast food. It's not a social food, right? So that's why people tend to eat slower here, which I think is more normal.
2: I think that's a great way to say it. I, I agree with you. I think, uh, and. Uh, um, I think that sometimes if you go to Tokyo, you watch people eating pizza, like, mm. just like, like, really? Are you going to, like, eat like, <laughs> these tiny pizzas? They're like $40 for a 10-inch personal pie, and people, you know, take two hours to eat them. And, right. and, it's, and it's, so, it's, so it's, it's, it's annoying in a different way.
1: <laughs> right. So, and uh, let's talk about your place in New York. So in 2012, you returned to New York uh, while continuing to operate a shop in Tokyo. Then in November 2013, you opened uh, Ivan Ramen Slap Shop at, uh, you know, in Health's Kitchen. And uh, soon after, you flagship restaurant, Ivan Ramen, in Lower East Side. Yes. So why did you decide to open a restaurant in the U.S.? Because, you know, the ramen's populated thousands of new Japanese, I know, the, the ramen shops. And right. so what was the, the reason?
2: Well, I mean, it was, it was a lot of things. You know, we were coming off that uh, the earthquake. Things weren't great in Japan Mm. at that time, for us anyway. We had a little baby and Mm. um, lots of aftershocks lots of fears of radiation poisoning mm. lots of all kinds of funky stuff right. business was way off for a couple of months obviously mm. people weren't eating out uh, um, I just remembering you know they also had uh, forced uh, uh, blackouts with almost no notice so all of a sudden they would the, the government office would call you and say in, in 20 minutes we have to turn off your electricity for oh. six hours I don't know if you remember that but there was there was rationing of, right. of electricity for right, a while right. so that different areas of the city were blacking out mm-hmm. at any time of the day with very little warning, so it was really hard to run a normal food service, and, mm. and at the same time, you know, I kind of started my relationship with the guys at Lucky Peach and David Chang and Peter Meehan and mm. became friendly with those guys, and they introduced me to uh, to my uh, my um, my agent, uh, Kim Witherspoon at uh, Inkwell, and uh, I ended up being able to put together a book deal, so I had a book deal and. All my friends were like, you know, you really should open a ramen shop in New York. It's getting mm-hmm. really popular and then and then my parents and my sisters found out that I was just thinking about coming back and then it it like the floodgates opened, <laughs> and, and, you know. And um and it was funny because you know, up until that time in, in my mind, I was probably never going to live anywhere but Japan for the rest of my life and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I was very comfortable with the idea. Wow. Um and um but you know, I mean, I, I'm I'm from here, and I've lived here for a good portion of my life, and I I really like it here, and I'm very comfortable here, and a lot of people I love are here, so that's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And... As I've proven before, I could decide to go somewhere tomorrow and just leave. Mm. <laughs> I never ask anybody's permission except my wife. Right. So, <laughs> um, you know, so I, I think, and I think our plan eventually is to go back to Japan. You know, mm. it, it's at some point in the future.
1: Okay. Um, and
2: I've been—I spent the summer there uh, this past summer.
1: Because mm, you have—you know, have to operate that. Yeah, and, yeah
2: and and just being there, it's really good for me. It's it's you know I, I get I get sad if I'm not there. So mm. I, I it's uh, and uh, creatively it's important. I get I get really I get re I get re energized when mm. I'm there, and and I, I really have this intense connection. Mm. Know, and when I'm not there for a while, I start to lose it and not feel so good about it. So right. uh, I'll be there in two weeks, and mm. I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Okay, so um so. Obviously, you're very successful here in New York, too. So what is the key to making great ramen?
2: Um, well, it's the, I mean, it's the, great success. It's, it's the key to any, any cooking, you know, attention to detail and, and uh, having everything in its place and being ready to, ready to go. And, and uh, I think, I don't know, I think that it's not, it's not really, I mean, I think having a restaurant is hard, you know. And when I opened Ivan Ramen, I didn't really open a noodle shop. I just opened a restaurant. And, you know, to me, people often try to sort of pigeonhole me and they talk about, oh, well, you, were, you worked in these great restaurants, but now you're just like a noodle guy or mm. doesn't that make you feel bad or when did you stumble or whatever. And it's always <laughs> funny to me because, you know, I, I, often, I often remind people that there's a lot of fancy restaurants that are horrible. And there's a lot of hot dog stands that are unbelievably wonderful. And, you know, I mean, I, I remember going, I was, in, I was in a little town, a little, little section of Kyoto a couple of years ago. And we went to this um, mochi place, you know, pounded rice cakes. Mm-hmm. And there was a line, there was a 30-minute line in the <laughs> rain. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to do this. But we lined up anyway. All they sold is mochi, three kinds. That's it. <laughs> but when I got it. I have to tell you, it was one of the best things I've ever eaten in my entire life. And it was just this little, it was it was a pounded mochi with uh, with toasted chestnuts in it. Mm. It was in the fall. I mean, I just still, I get tears in my eyes thinking about it, it was so good. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it's all of these businesses that, you know, you have to, you know, you have to pay attention to detail. You know, what I think what drew me to ramen in the first place was this whole Japanese notion of doing one thing really well. Mm. And in the, in the United States, you know, people really like to have a lot of choices and so you end up really getting pulled in this direction of offering so much that you lose a little focus Mm -hmm. um which is i mean things happen that way but when i opened my shop in in japan it was so fun to just obsess over one thing Mm -hmm. and do it the same every day every day every day over and over again until it's perfect and then once it's perfect Staying with it and mm. just getting into the whole, well, you know, if, you know Jewish guy was getting into the gestalt of the of the ramen, and, mm. you know, <laughs> and, and and for me, it was uh, um, it's something that stayed with me, and I'm still right. that way, and it's it's uh, it's a very exciting mm. you know way to think about things. Right. So you the know?
1: you know the traditional craftsmen, whenever I speak to those people, they say it's eventually becoming very spiritual because it's about you, how you think of you know, how do you deal with your object yeah. in front of you. Yeah, and,
2: and ramen was cool for me because ramen is is sort of rock and roll, mm. which would work for <laughs> me. You know, I worked in a soba shop for a little while and uh, I just hated it. It was it was super regimented and, you know, the, the 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 boss was like, no, you have to stand that way. No, Ivan, you have to move your feet half an inch and you have to stand this way. And, mm. and I was like, I hate this, I, you know. And <laughs> <so> right, <laughs> right.
1: So, um... So, what's your plan in the short term and long term
2: well you know we're 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 we have some expansion plans, and hopefully they'll you know we'll be ready to talk about them soon but we're we've been talking with a bunch of different you know money people and spaces you know spaces that are available, and you know New York in particular, as some of you might know, is very challenging to open a business here mm-hmm. um real estate and regulations and health codes all these things that that make you know what could be really simple, not mm. so simple. Right. Um, but I think that we're you know we'd like to continue sharing the gospel of ramen, and uh, you know I think you know we have one little niche. One of the things I love about ramen is that there's so many different kinds so that you don't have to have a pissing match about whose is the best mm. because you know one guy makes you know it makes his really light and the guy makes his really heavy. Another guy does like to put tons of garnish on top. Another mm. guy you know another guy likes a place that's a really pretty atmosphere. Another guy wants a place that's dark and deep. With loud AC/DC, mm. <laughs> and 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 you know what? If if the if the people are passionate and they and they make a good product and it's fun, it works. That's why the the ramen culture in Japan is so cool because. And I sort of explain this to people who haven't been to Japan, but Japan is a wonderful place. But it's very regimented, and sometimes it almost it you know you you, you try so hard to fit in that it's Mm. tiring. And and I think the ramen thing is that really cool. And I I call ramen the maverick cuisine of Japan. It Mm. just it just doesn't you know it doesn't really follow any structure. And whoever has the best ramen wins. Mm. No rules. No rules. And 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 then it gets you know the people come in and they say you know what I like that music they play and the owner was funny and I loved his ramen and then they're like regulars you know
1: right okay so sounds like you have a lot of plans from now so i do yeah so please keep us posted and uh, come back
2: i will well no thank you so much for having me it's <laughs> always uh, it's always fun to get out to out to brooklyn because i'm now i live in the north so i have to come up with excuses great
1: all right so listeners if you'd like to know more about ivan's restaurants please visit ivanramen.com. com. And if you have any questions or comments, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org. And by the way, we just launched a beautiful new website, so please visit our page, Japan Eats. And Japan Eats is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and uh, Stitcher podcast as well. So today's show was made possible by Santori, and our engineer is Liz Smith. So I will see you next week.